<laughs> Funny. Okay. Now, I suggest that you listen with your spirit. So I invite you to invite your spirit forward because this may a little bit, well, it shouldn't be too tough on the heart, but it might be a little bit. Because I'm going to speak today about the heartscape. So the landscape of your heart, the heartscape, the, the place that you receive words into, the place that you speak words into, and the, the place that you speak them from. Um, and so where you're receiving something, what is the heartscape of where you're receiving it into? And when you're speaking into others, what are you actually speaking into? Do you understand the soil that you're speaking into? And not only that, then where are you speaking from? What is in your heart when you're speaking? All of those things are really necessary for us to have a sober assessment of. And so today, I invite your hearts to take a sober assessment of where they are within... I'm going to speak about the proverb of the heart. The, the proverb. Okay. I not only wrote this jet-lagged, but I'm speaking it jet-lagged. That's why your spirits need to come forward. Don't even worry about anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm speaking. Um, okay. So let's start at Proverbs 23.7. And just a portion of that scripture is for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. And um, we conform to the image that we have of God. And so when it talks about we are as we are in our heart, as we think in our heartscape, as we think in this place, it, whatever we think of the Lord here, that's what we conform to. Right, so if we think that he is a punishing God, we will always see every word that is spoken or every word that we speak from that perspective. It doesn't matter what is said. If our view of him is a punishing God, we will always conform every word that we speak or every word that we receive to that image. And so it's really important that we deal with our hearts and we deal with the things that are in our hearts so that we conform to the image of who he actually is, not who we think he is and limit him to the, the, the heartscape or the, the idols within our hearts or the rocks within our hearts or all the different things, the wounds within our hearts or in our perspective of him. Because that limits our ability to receive the fullness of what is spoken into our lives. Not only that, it limits our ability to speak into other people's lives' fullness because we will always limit it to conform to our belief system of what he is. And this is where we have the subjective truths issue because we see him according to our truth or what we've experienced and then we limit what we communicate or what we receive according to that truth. And so we actually have to continually bring our hearts back for the Lord in sober assessment. What is in here? What do I believe of you? What needs to be changed? What needs to be uprooted? What needs to be expanded and enlarged? And so the condition of our heart is really important when it comes to the prophetic. It's really important when it comes to how we receive things and what we speak into others because we will always limit it according to what is in that place. So we speak from the heart. We need to have an, uh, 
A sober assessment of our filters, our biases, our perspectives, our wounds, our triggers, our pains, because we speak and we colour things. We colour what we hear, we colour how we interpret according to our understandings. That's why it says, lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him. When we're leaning on our own understandings, the, the things that are held in our heart, we limit him. And then our heartscape makes us susceptible to confirmation bias, which can surface in soul dreams. And this is a really big issue, I think, is that we have this confirmation bias. So not only does our soul come to the surface, which is our subconscious, which then comes to the surface in our dreams, and then we take that and we go, God's spoken. Well, God has spoken. He's spoken to reveal what's in our subconscious, not necessarily to say that that's truth. Does that make sense? When we dream about things, we have to be able to assess whether or not God is speaking into something truth or he's speaking such that it's bringing our subconscious up so we can soberly assess what is in there. Dreams actually are a really good indication and a good coordinate for us to be able to navigate the heart realm because we don't know what we don't know. We don't necessarily know the biases that we have. We don't know the blind spots that we have, otherwise we wouldn't be blind to them. But dreams can often cause those things that are in our subconscious, those belief systems, to come to the surface so that we can look at them because God's saying, hey, this is what you're actually believing. This is what is colouring your world. This is an idol in that place that you need to deal with and bring before me. So the soul dreams are still used by the Lord in order to indicate or show to us what is actually in our subconscious and colouring um, our whole world. Even when we read the word, we can read it from such a bias, a confirmation bias, Who's ever been hurt and been in an argument with someone and then read the Bible and go, see, even God's against them? You know, like, husbands, love your wives. Yeah, you didn't love me well. Like, it's a confirmation bias and even the Lord's against you. And like, let me show you what's in the word. We can pull out all of those things. And those things tend to be highlighted to us in those moments, confirmation bias. But really, we need to read the word to assess our own heartscape in order those things to come in and become that thing that divides between soul and spirit, that gives us a sober assessment. It's really quiet in here. Is everyone okay? Is everyone already in the heart realm? You've got to listen with the spirit. Don't get, like, caught up in that murky. Don't get caught up in the murky. Come, come, come up, come up, come up. <laughs> okay. Let's go, um, I'm going to read a good chunk of scripture here. So Matthew 13, 3 to 9, and then 18 to 23. I was just telling Maddie before, when I was speaking in, um, in the US, I had to speak with my laptop because I'd made so many changes. And I get up in front of 500 people, I open up, and it starts to circle. And I was like, this is going to update. You know one of those illegal updates where you haven't asked it to update, but it updates anyway, and I'm like, what am I going to do for 45 minutes Why Windows update? But it didn't, so. But I saw I'm back to paper, though, because I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Okay, Matthew 13. <clears throat> and he told them many things in parables, saying, 
A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the paths, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then there's an interesting chunk of scripture in between, which I'm not going to go into, which actually starts to interpret who has ears to hear. Um, But from verse 18 onwards, hear then the parable of the sower. And it actually says um, about this parable, if you cannot understand this parable, you cannot understand any of them. And the thing is, it is the, for us to understand the ways of the Lord, the kingdom of heaven, we have to deal with our heartscape. We have to deal with the issues of the heart. That is actually what allows us to have ears to hear. In dealing with the heart, the heart of our understanding, that place, it allows us to hear with purity the voice of the Lord and assess something correctly. Okay, so when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulations or persecutions arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown On good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in case a 100-fold or in another 60 or in another 30. So we're going to go through each one of those like separately and and deal with the heart condition in each one of those. Because when we can identify soberly where we are then we can manage, or where others are, like where we're sowing into, we can manage expectations, bring warning, bring teaching, bring counsel. And more on this later, because there's something around being cautious of what we speak or where we speak something into a place where it's not going to be received. Because in situations like that, where you know something won't be received, but you speak into it anyway, you create an environment where judgment can come into that situation because when we know, we are responsible for what we know. And so being cautious around those things as well, but I'll speak on that a bit more later. So understanding. So the first one was the one who hears the word of the kingdom And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. Now, we're talking about believers because they're hearing the word of the kingdom. We're not talking about unbelievers in this situation. We're talking about believers who hear the word of the kingdom but do not understand it. And then the evil one can come and snatch it. 
So when we're talking about our heartscape, where we receive words into first, I think this is unfortunately the state of a large portion of the body of Christ, where he's always speaking, but the body of Christ is not tuned into his voice. They are not tuned into the voice of the Lord for the season, or they're not tuned into the, the fact that the Lord speaks at all. <laughs> not, they're not even tuned in to the Lord speaking through the word, through the logos. They hear, but they have no understanding. And understanding is a condition of the heart. It is not the ability to logically unpack something. Right? Understanding is the condition of the heart. You can put the scripture down. That's my daughter. So it would be difficult in this church to have that particular condition of the heart at large. But sometimes we have that condition in particular areas because we have really hard trodden ground, like pathways that are really hard trodden in one area. We've, we've built into a particular area really strongly. And so it makes it very hard for us to receive any understanding in that place. And it actually requires that we bring that part of our heart or that condition of our heart back before the Lord where he says he turns the hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. And we can have largely a heart of flesh but a heart of stone in a particular area of our heart. And that's where the Lord's going to start really hammering away at that and bring teaching around that so that it starts to soften those areas so that understanding can come. Teaching is needed, listening to understand, not listening to fit it into a preconceived um, bias or preconceived idea. And often this is where we repeat things. If there's a new revelation that's come, we don't understand things the first time. So we repeat them, we bring them over and over from different perspectives through different voices until that hardening starts to soften and we can actually land something. When we hear a concept for the first time, there's no peg for it to land on. And then we hear it again and then we hear it again and suddenly we start to have understanding around that or we start to hear the voice of the Lord be able to land on a peg because we're building something in that place. I've got the giggles. I don't know why. <laughs> I could just stand here and laugh. Oh, dear. Okay. When we're delivering a word to somebody or into a landscape, this is where we have to determine whether it is worth delivering that word at that time or whether it is to start to bring some understanding around it, start to sow some seeds of understanding around what it is that the Lord wants to say so that the ground becomes soft. If you have time to walk through something with somebody to bring understanding that they need, then you need to ascertain that first. Sometimes just delivering a word of the Lord to somebody who has zero understanding will produce zero fruit and the enemy will just snatch that away, straight away. And there are a number of things that we need to consider. <laughs> or cautions. Luke 12, 48, and I just want to read the second half of that. For 
everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. And so when we actually give words to people who have no understanding or we we start to speak into that place where people have no understanding, we actually create an environment around them where more will be required of them. More will be expected of them because of the word of the Lord that's being spoken into their lives. We actually have to be cautious around that sometimes and inquire of the Lord whether now is the time to bring that word or whether we need to actually start to pray for their heart to come into a place where they can receive it instead of heaping on judgments of people. When I spoke a word a couple of weeks ago on being a pillar in the house, my plan um, had been to invite people at the end of that to make a commitment or say, yes, I want to be a pillar in the house, or yes, I want to be a pillar in the community. And as I was about to do that, the Lord stopped me. And he said, what if people stand up because they enjoyed the message, but in fact, or or they, they want to or have a desire to be that, but haven't yet counted the cost because half of my message was on counting the cost. What if they yet haven't done that? And then they stand And then later they count the cost and they can't do it or won't do it. Will the judge, will judge, this is a dialogue I was having with the Lord as I was about to, a caution he brought. He said, don't create an environment where people will say yes, having not counted the cost and then a judgment lands because of their yes and they're not able to do it or actually don't want to do it having counted the cost. So we have to be cautious around the conditions and the environment that we invite people in to com- make commitments where they might not necessarily have made it had they actually had the time to count the cost or consider it. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm good. Um, Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I'd never read the second part of that, or I had and hadn't actually thought about it before. But when we, when we cast things that are holy or the beautiful things of the Lord or the words of the Lord before people who have no honour of that or no care of that, not only does that belittle the word of the Lord, that can then be taken as a weapon against you. It would be used, it says, lest they trample them under feet. In, in other words, consider them unholy or less than what they are worth or belittle them. And then it says, or turn and tear you to pieces. Using the very words of the Lord, we need to be cautious about the heartscape or the place we're delivering a word into. The Lord may show you something about a family member. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go up to them and give them that entire word that the Lord's shown you that might be for prayer. But to give that word might actually cause more offence and be a weapon to be used against you if it's not delivered in the right timing and into the right conditions. And so it's a matter of being prayerful about what we receive and where we're giving the word of the Lord into. Okay, the second one. The one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet there is no root in himself, 
But it endures for a while, and when tribulations or persecutions arise on account of the word, immediately it falls away. Um, I think that this is probably the most commonplace, this and the next one, within the body of Christ and the things or which we are most likely dealing with in this season. It's that receiving a word, hearing it, receiving it with joy, but not being able to be rooted in the word or that the word itself causes persecution or tribulation to come and then, and, and then we let go of the word. That's probably a, quite a common one or place or ha, um, heartscape that we're dealing with is that when you receive a word, it is most likely that that will be tested and a pressure will come to test that about that specific word. We don't own that word until we've held it through that and it's become fortified. More often than not, if we don't hold it through that, we let go of it and it falls away. That word falls away. So this heartscape receives the word spoken over them or in a conference or even in like reading the Bible, and there's a level of excitement or engagement, but because a heart journey or a process hasn't been done or there's no knowledge of how to do it, there's no place for the word to land. There's no weighing and testing or no assessment of the conditions needed to fulfill it. Now, I'm going to embarrassingly disclose some of the... (laughs) Some of the words I've received and just expected to fancifully come to pass without any engagement. But I was remind I was somewhere between 17 and 19 at this time. So I, there were two words that I received um, in in that age, and they were given to me by Gary Watts, who incidentally later um, in my late 30s gave me um, another two words, which. I then had the ability to actually see through. Um, The first word that he gave me, he had a vision of me dancing before the Lord and throwing rose petals at his feet. And that's all I remember because that's all I journaled. Um, Now, as I was walking back to my seat, somebody gave me an interpretation that this was about souls in the nations, which I now actually don't think was a correct interpretation. But that, so that's what I held. Um, for years, I had held that word, and I became confused years later that this had not come to pass, notwithstanding that I never talked to a single soul in my life, <laughs> that I never went on a mission trip, that I never did anything about it. I was in confusion as to why I had not led thousands to the Lord years later. I know that you have words like that. You know words like you're, going, you're a prophet to the nations and yet no one's listening to my words. Or you're going to make millions and yet you're sitting in, in your basement waiting for the millions to fall. There are all these types of words that we just expect to happen and even if the conditions aren't given by the prophet, we should be seeking out the Lord for what actually do I need to lay my hand to? What part of my heart do I need to change and surrender to you in order for these words to come to pass? That did not happen. For this years, um, I was confused. 
I had no teaching around the prophetic. In fact, I don't think there was any, like other than a prophet coming in to give you a word, there was no prophetic within that church. There was no teaching on the prophetic. And it was almost as like that was the expectation, that a prophet would come in and give you a word and then that would manifest somehow, sometime, amazingly. But there is no fruit um, on a word where it cannot take any root in your life. Now, I now have an understanding that, in fact, the interpretation of that was more about pouring out my life before him and worship, um, which as I started to understand the interpretation, I could lay hold of and it actually has come to pass. The second one had to do with the Midas touch. The, I think the word was something like, whatever you touch is going to turn to gold. <laughs> Nothing I touched <laughs> turned to gold. Everything was hard. It was a season of my life where I was, I was <laughs> it was the opposite. And of course, I was overjoyed uh, by the word, but it was quickly snuffed out by the opposite manifesting. I didn't know how to hold a word. I didn't understand it was being tested. I didn't understand persecution would come because of the word. But everything turned the exact opposite. I had zero teaching or revelation on process, um, how to work a word. I was just disappointed again that the word didn't miraculously manifest despite my journey or lack of any journey in my life. And I know that these are maybe extreme examples, but essentially so many of our words are sitting in a place ready for us or waiting for us to actually engage through process. To say, Lord, what do I need to know? What do I need to lay hold of in order to start to manifest these words? If these words are from you, and weigh and test that first, but if this word is from the Lord, then what do I need to know and what do I need to engage in order to start to manifest them? I had no path for any of these words to land, no place for them to manifest. I did not know the Lord. I only knew of him. I did not know the word. I only knew about it. And so there, there was no place there was no soil, I suppose, in my heart for these things to land in and start to manifest. I did not seek out process, strategy, pathways, or even understand or understanding. I had no concept of any of these things, and yet I was waiting for them to manifest in my life. And then disappointment creates a whole nother heartscape. It actually creates a soil that rejects seed that rejects the word of the Lord, rejects the voice of the Lord, um, rejects the prophetic altogether. When we're disappointed time and time again of the lack of manifestation in our lives of what he's spoken, we actually create like an acidic soil that rejects and kills seed. And so then when we deliver words to other people, it's sort of got this level of like bitterness on it or it, it's got this, you know, if it comes to pass, zero faith, zero belief. And so they're almost um, seeds without any ability to reproduce or to produce fruit. So the trials and tribulations or the, the pressure, this tests ownership and it tests motivation. 
Often these challenges come to fortify us in the word so that we actually own it, that we own what he's spoken over us, that we own those words. And I just want to quickly look at the example of Jesus when he was baptized. And I know that a lot of the interns have heard me speak bits and pieces of this because I use this often as an example of what it is to have identity spoken into you and then it be tested till it's proved. So Jesus is, this is in Matthew 3 and 4. So Jesus is baptized. The skies part. The Spirit of God descends like a dove. God the Father speaks out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So this is the, the prophetic word of the Lord speaking identity. This is my Son. So he speaks identity straight away. Then Jesus is led into the wilderness, and it says, to be tempted by the devil. So the purpose of going out into the wilderness and of the fasting is to be tempted by the devil. So he fasts 40 days, and he's hungry. He is a person who is hungry after 40 days. I think sometimes we just think, you know, this is Jesus, this is God, Um, You know, it was all pretty easy for him. He was hungry. He was a man. And then the tempter comes and immediately challenges his identity. The first thing that is challenged is exactly what was spoken into him. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus passes on this and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He did not feel it necessary to prove anything to the devil on the devil's trading floor. He did not shift off of the trading floor of heaven or off of the identity of you are the son of God, the word of God that spoke into him in order to prove to the devil that he was the son of God. He did not feel the need to do that. But he stayed within the word that was given to him and said, I will live according to this word, not your trading floor. And not the trading floor of his need. And immediately the devil had come to challenge, who is your source? Then again, he says, and the devil comes back to tempt him again, and he says, if you are the son of God, then jump off and the angels will come and save you. So he goes, the devil goes and challenges, who is your protector and where is your safety? And then again, the devil comes and challenges him again. If you will worship me, I will give you all of this. And challenges his call and challenges his motivation. Because of this, often we get a prophetic word that speaks into our identity and speaks into who we are meant to be and who we are called to be. If we are motivated by what we get because of that identity, in other words, if we're motivated by the platform or we're motivated by wealth or we're motivated by whatever it is other than the identity but what we get from it, then what we will do, we will step out of the word of God onto the trading floor of the enemy because it is quicker to get what our true motivation is there than to stay in the word and go through process until we manifest it God's way. 
And so what it is, the enemy pulls him, tries to pull him out of the word of God and the identity by challenging the motivation of that word. What are you motivated by? Do you want the platform? Do you want the wealth? Do you want the exposure? Or is the identity what you're after and all these things will be added as a bonus? And so the enemy comes straight away. He, he tempts who's your source, who's your provider, Who's your protector? Where's your safety? And then what is your motivation? And Jesus stays. He stays in the word. He is not moved from that place, dismisses him, the devil leaves, and then the angels come and minister to the Lord, uh, to Jesus. And he's gone through the process of owning the identity, this is my son. And so very often when we receive a word from the Lord, especially if the word is about identity, we will be challenged by the enemy on our motivation, on where our source is and who our protector is every single time. And if we stay in the word instead of being shifted off of it or out of it, we then own the identity and we can administrate then authority from that place. It was not necessarily easy for Jesus to do that. Like I said, he was man. But it was the fortifying of the identity. It proved the identity. And to prove something means to demonstrate the truth by evidence. And so there's the position of the identity that we're given when we receive a word... And then there's proving it by evidence of actually walking it out. And then it's fortified. So when we're speaking into a heartscape, so moving away from receiving, I'm talking about now speaking into, the thing that we need to bear in mind is we do not work harder than the other person. When you're speaking into somebody, into a heartscape, then we need to make sure that we don't walk the tribulation or the trial or keep trying to convince them all the way through that. Otherwise, they still don't own it. This is the word of the Lord for you. Now you walk out. We don't keep giving excuses. We don't keep making excuses for the Lord. We have to walk out our own words. We have to walk through our own trials. We have to walk through our own tribulations if we want to own the word and we, we want to own what the Lord has said to us. Know your responsibility is to deliver. You can give teaching or understanding, but the person receiving it has to work the word. They have to work through the trials. They have to work through the tribulations or the pressures. Okay, the third one, the one who hears the word but the cares or distractions of the world and the deceitfulness or the delusions of riches. And then in Luke it adds, um, or the pleasures of life. Choke or strangle completely the word until it becomes unfruitful or cannot mature. Okay, so I was always also in this category, a bit later on in life, <laughs> where you take the word, 
and you work it but kind of as a side hustle as opposed to giving your whole life to it or giving your whole dedication to it or your whole belief to it. And so you do a little bit on the word that's given to you but you haven't given everything to it because you're really busy doing all the other things that you need to do in life. You're really busy carrying the weight of the world, of the toil of your job or your family or whatever it is, the distractions of life. That is your main focus and you're working the word of God on the side. That's what a lot of us do. (laughs) You know, that seek first the kingdom of God is such an abstract Um, consideration for our mind. It's like, well, what about actually doing work? Or what about actually the disciplines of life? But what it's talking about here is the weight. Where is the weight? Where is the focus? Where is the primary? What are you zealous for? Worrying about maybe one day not being able to, or one day getting sick, or what will people think if I'm too zealous about something? fear of failure, not understanding where true treasure is. We take the word, we believe it, we, or we have some hope in it that one day we put in a little bit of effort, but disappointment or pain of daily life and the grind pulls us off the mountain to come back down the mountain again and do our daily chores and then go up the mountain in prep or go up the mountain in praise and then come off the mountain to do our daily life and do our work and do our family and then we go up the mountain in praise and we go up the mountain in prayer and we come off the mountain again to do our daily life. And this is the cycle of the distractions and the cares and we don't build from here. We're actually called to go up the mountain, build on the mountain, and from the mountain, those things will then manifest in our daily life and in, our, in the fact that the weight or the government of all of those things is on his shoulders. So it's not a matter of not working. It's a matter of working from Zion, from the mountain, from the, the place of being seated in him, that the weight of all of that is on him. And in the place of rest, we then are able to manifest. We are then able to do our work. We are then able to function in relationships and function in family. But it's not to go, keep going up and down the mountain. The design is that we live from not keep going up and down and, and, and backwards and forwards. When we read Matthew 6.33, we often think, and, it, and that's, that's the scripture about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. We fail to see that we need to do all of those things in him. We need to live in him and from him. That is our first call. And from there, from that place, we do our assignments. That full passage in Matthew is actually about being anxious or not being anxious. The cares of the world which strangle, carrying the fear, carrying the weight, carrying the responsibility. Um, I'll just paraphrase some of those. It says, um, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is 
not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then down further, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? And then it says, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you're in need of, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And there's this place of being in the Lord or seeking first the kingdom of God, which is a place of rest to deal with the anxiety or the pressure or the tribulations or the trials of all of the future worries. And it says, come into me, be in me, and then from that place I will teach you, I will show you how to function in me from rest in order to walk out all of your assignments. I know what you need. I know what you're in need of. He's not, um, he doesn't disregard our need, but he calls us into a place where the need doesn't choke out the very life of the Lord. When Javier and Leo were here, um, they invited us forward to, for prayer for, um, for needs. And they um, said, I think it was at Munta, they said, come forward, whatever you're in need of, come forward and, and we'll pray for you. And so I started to walk up with my list that got longer and longer and longer as I like started to make my way up there and the Holy Spirit says to me you haven't asked me what you need I'm like I didn't I didn't even think (laughs) to ask the Lord what do I need because I know what I need and so I said okay Holy Spirit what do I need and his answer was you need to enlarge your heart now, that, that wasn't on my list. <laughs> wasn't even down low. I hadn't even thought of that. And he started to speak to me that the, the place of my heart was not large enough or my heartscape was not large enough to receive everything he wanted to pour in. And so he, if you ask for an enlarged heart, if you ask for more space in your heart for the kingdom of heaven, you then have a greater landing place for all that he wants to pour out into your life. If you seek first the kingdom of heaven, you give him more space to land the stuff. And the stuff doesn't carry the weight and the stuff doesn't carry... Um, the glitz and glamour that it once did, it's just stuff because our eyes behold him and our eyes are full of him. And so the Lord started to speak to me over and over, you need to come to me to ask what you need. I know what you need more than you know what you need. Come and ask me, what do I need? It had never occurred to me (laughs) to ask him, what I need, and that that would encompass so much more than the list that was just before my eyes because he knows what I need, body, soul, spirit, the entirety of it in order to fulfill the callings and the assignments I don't even know are in front of me yet. 
And so one of those things in the, in when we're anxious for things and we're, when we're, the, the cares of the world are choking out is because we become so narrow. When we're choked out by the, the small need that is in front of our eyes, that becomes the only thing we see and it, be, it so fills our gaze that it's so big. But when we allow the Lord to cause us to step back into the kingdom of heaven from the that is such a small thing compared to what he actually desires to pour into our lives that encompasses that but he has so much more and so that choking actually causes us to be a narrow landing place for the things of the Lord and we if we really pray those things through we may get that but if we seek him we get everything including that And that's what he's asking of us. It's not that he doesn't care about the things that we need. It's not that he doesn't care about the money that we need to pay our rent or the relationships or friendships that we need to nurture our soul. It's not that he doesn't care about those things, but it's that he has so much greater thing that that is so narrow. And if we focused on that alone and he gave us that alone, we would never fulfill the fullness of what he has for us. So he says, seek first the kingdom. Open up your gaze. Enlarge your heart. Like become bigger so that you can see the entirety and the fullness of everything that I have for you. The other thing I wanted to speak about that was... (coughs) about speaking into places of idols and speaking from a place of idols where the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches have such a high place and a high priority that it creates such a a soul realm around you of that idol. Okay, so then it becomes, what, what that, okay. What that does, it creates a target around your life for people to speak into that idle realm as a prophetic word where they get benefit from speaking into your world because they've seen your idols and now they look like some prophetic guru who's actually able to speak into your world, it inflames and fortifies your idol and it inflames and fortifies their idol, which is ego and pride. When you have idols forefront in your life and that's the only thing you're presenting to the Lord to speak into, you make yourself an easy target. It says in 2 Samuel 15 about Absalom, it says, Absalom stands in the gates, and I paraphrase, and flatters people, promises them justice, promises them things, and then it says, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And what happens is if your idols are forefront in your life and you do not deal with your idols, you actually make yourself susceptible to be your heart being stolen at the gate by Absalom. It's only 
one example where the, the heartscape being spoken into where it has an idol makes you vulnerable because it also makes you vulnerable to familiar spirits because it's not hard to read a soul realm. It's not, not hard to read what's around somebody and what their idol is or what they're desiring or what they really want spoken on over their life. It's not hard to speak to somebody, the Lord's called you to be a millionaire, you know, and it's going to be really easy and it's just going to come and there's, there's not going to be any trials, not going to be any testing. It's really easy to speak a word into somebody's life where that's very, a very prominent idol in, in the realm around them. But what that does, it does an injustice and it fortifies the idol. It fortifies familiar spirits um, around you where you no longer, then it takes you back sort of to that step one where you can't hear any other thing because your ears have become closed. There is no longer any understanding in the heart. So the word of God, the pure word of God can't land in your life because the idols are the rocks. So the word can't penetrate. Idols can be the cares of this world, ego, pride, insecurity, platform, fear, the deceitfulness of riches, position, wealth, possessions, ease, comfort. It's all going to be okay. There's not going to be any process. There's not going to be any pressure. There's not going to be any testing. Those types of idols where we, we want to avoid all responsibility, effort and process... Even if the word is accurate, the process and condition of the word will be choked out such that the word can't bear fruit. So if, if for instance, if the word is accurate, you are going to be wealthy, but it hits an idol instead of being able to go deep into the soil of your heart, what will happen is it can't bear fruit because it, it doesn't take root to go through process. So it hits the idol, yes, of course, or the pride or the ego or the cares of the world, and you take it into a realm of toil instead of the, the realm of process of it actually being able to land in the heart and the Lord doing it, you staying in identity staying in what the Lord says, staying in his word, you get moved off of it because the motivation was the stuff instead of the motivation, the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Okay. We need the fear of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord when we're receiving a word. We need the fear of the Lord when we're speaking a word. We need to always remember that we are before the Lord and that he is the primary audience that we're speaking before Remembering he hears not just what we say, but he hears the motivation of our heart as we're saying it. He doesn't just hear what we receive, but he hears the motivation of our heart which we're receiving through. So the fourth one, the one who hears the word and understands it, he indeed bears fruit and yields in a case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So here we have, even when we hear and understand, we need to allow process to take place. There's still levels of faith and yieldedness which determine the harvest. 
And this has to do with so many things of the ways of the Lord, faith, stewardship, the process of the heart. This is the journey. But it's a lovely journey of faith to faith, of glory to glory. And if this harvest, it's 30-fold, then we go from glory to glory, and next harvest, it's 60-fold, and we go to glory to glory, and the next harvest is 100-fold as we continue to yield an increased place of our heart, as we allow the Lord to enlarge the, the territory of our heart for the purposes of the kingdom of heaven, that we're so yielded to seeing the kingdom of heaven being established on earth, and that is our motivation. It's not the stuff. It's not the things that come with it. He is good. He is, he is so incredibly good. And he wants what is best for us. And when we ask him, what do I need? He can show us the greater things. Okay, so this is the homework. What is, so sober assessment... What is the condition of your heart in receiving and giving words? Ask God. What idols exist that skew or obscure the word of God? <laughs> the second one? Oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just start again. What is the condition of your heart in receiving and giving words? Ask God. What idols skew or obscure the word of the Lord? Okay, what don't I know that I need to know about my identity? And this comes back what I said at the beginning. We are conformed to the image that we have of God. And so what don't I know that I need to know of my identity? What wounds prevent me from believing? What cares detract me? Distract me. Distract me. Distract me from laying hold. I should have written this out. <laughs> what wounds prevent me from believing? I'm going back. I'm repeating. What cares distract me from laying hold? And what are the conditions of my heart that need to change? Did everyone get that? Excellent. And that's it. So you're dismissed. <laughs> and I'm going to go to bed.
One, two, let's put some pads on. Holy Spirit, <laughs> we just thank you for your understanding and for your revealing of our heart condition towards you. I thank you, Lord, that you have already done everything at the cross. You have already made all provision for the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to manifest through your sons. You have already made the way. So Lord, as we accept and we remember again, we bring to mind and we bring into focus everything that you have already done. Lord, would you start to show us what we need to lay hold of, what we need to understand in order to manifest the fullness of what you've done. Lord, not only that it would manifest in our lives the fullness of health, salvation, provision, the power of the kingdom of heaven, but that it would manifest around us, that we would be a demonstration of the fullness of the kingdom of heaven, that we would be a testimony of Jesus. Take your communion.